Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello, I'm Andrew Doyle and welcome to Headliners. Joining me tonight is one of the most talented comedians working on the UK comedy circuit today, Steve N. Allen and Nick Dixon. Every night, the same joke. I mean, I I delivered it with a slightly different tenor. I'm not blaming you, I am blaming Martin, our producer. Our producer who wrote the autocue. Well, let's not get him involved because he'll... He'll get angry and he'll write something worse tomorrow <laughs> if, you, if you keep this up. Got good Let, taste. He has got good taste. Let's have a look at tomorrow's front pages. We're going to start with the Daily Mail, and that runs with victory for free speech and women. That is, of course, the Alison Bailey case, which we will, of course, be covering. Onto the Telegraph, accidental nuclear war with China, a growing risk. And that, of course, is uh, something we were also going to get to. Moving on to the Guardian now. Unions issue general strike threat as rail crisis grows. And there's also a picture there of uh, James Lovelock, who died, the climate prophet and pioneer of science. Moving on to the Financial Times, they're leading with Fed lifts rates by 0.75 points for second month in a row. That's, of course, the battle to tame inflation. Moving on to the mirror now, shocking. Just shocking, that's it, one word. I love those one-word headlines, very dramatic. Energy bills could hit. £500 for just one month this winter. It's extravagant, isn't it? On to the front cover of The Times now. Talk to our enemies or run at risk of nuclear war. And an image there of Alison Bailey with J.K. Rowling, her friend. Uh, and uh, as we will get to in a moment, Alison Bailey has won her victory over her chambers in her discrimination case. Moving on to The Star now. And they go with Greece is the word. And this, these are some tips to stop a drought this summer, which include don't wash your hair and take a shower for just five minutes and use the same dirty teacup all day. The star on the pulse of current affairs there. And those are your front covers. And we begin with Thursday's Telegraph and a fairly light Headline to start the show, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so try and keep this snappy, shall I? Um, <laughs> accidental nuclear war with China growing risk. Yay! And this is according to Sir Stephen Lovegrove. Uh, this is the UK's national security advisor saying that we could accidentally end up in a nuclear war with China. Now, I've, I've had many an accident in my time, but you'd, you'd think you don't have to call up one of those, have you had an accident at work, things over a, over a war. No. But the, the, part, the point of, part of what this is about is um, how the way in which we communicated with the, back in the old days, back in the Cold War days, there was a system in place where there was more rules of engagement, effectively, yes. which, which was rules of no engagement because we would wipe each other off the planet. Yes. And without mutually this... assured destruction. That yeah, was without this dialogue, we might not have this mutually assured destruction. But I, I mean, I've been reading through this thinking, surely our goals are still aligned as much as neither one of us wants to be wiped off the globe. Yes. Well, is there an added problem that we are quite dependent on China? I mean, you saw these 
major corporations pulling out of Russia in protest over the war in Ukraine, um, but they don't really have much to lose there financially. Whereas pulling out of China, that's not going to happen, is it? I mean, did, well, is this going to cause trouble as well? That is a separate trouble in its own right. And horribly, it's actually a solution to this. Really? Because actually, Well, if we are so dependent on China, and there was a story we talked about on the show recently about even our university research mm. requires China. If, if suddenly we break ties, we won't know as much. Then actually what that means is we will just be beaten before we even get to the nuclear weapons. I mean, that's a problem, though, as well. Yeah. I mean, I've heard stories about how Chinese investment in American universities often involves uh, changing what is taught on those various programmes. And, and so this kind of influence is a little pernicious. I mean, I see in this article Liz Truss has described the, uh, the malign influence of China. So she's coming up quite hawkish about this, isn't she, Nick? Yes. Well, this story, it's only just dropped, but it is quite concerning, as you've said. I mean, my favourite sentence was, the West and China could miscalculate our way into a nuclear war. It's a heck of a miscalculation. It's like miscalculating your way into a volcano. Do you yes. know what I mean? It's arguably worse. Yeah. So, so that was that is shocking because because everyone was concerned about uh, China being emboldened to invade Taiwan or whatever because of yes. the, uh, Russia, and they were waiting and seeing how that goes. But somehow this is even worse. But like you say, Liz Truss is being quite bold on it, um, and, and Sunak claims to be a China hawk, but now there's. You know, there's these stories that, oh, he might not be. He was close to signing an economic agreement with Beijing earlier in the year. So it's like, who's really the anti-China candidate? And we've had these things, like you say, we've had the Huawei thing, the Five Eyes thing, where we're trying to get out of more and more Chinese technology because it always seems to be spying on you. Yeah, it does rather. But the problem is you are dealing with a state that doesn't play by the same rules, mm -hmm. certainly not when it comes to human rights, certainly not when it comes to uh, digital surveillance technology and that kind of thing. And there's these tensions that are bound to come to a head at some point. I worry about the situation with Taiwan, now, isn't the Chinese government suggesting they've got a 2025 deadline for when Taiwan will be will be theirs? And you've got Nancy Pelosi going to visit there next month. That's going to spark a whole big thing. I mean, you know, is this just a powder keg waiting to explode, Steve? Oh, and there's even more powder in it, because as much as we're sitting here talking about nuclear war, don't worry, it's not just that. Uh, he also said, this is Stephen Lovegrove, it's a dangerous a, a new age of proliferation with threats from genetic weapons, space-based systems and lasers. Great. Just in case you weren't worried enough. So we're all doomed. Let's move on to Thursday's Telegraph. <laughs> Hopefully this will be a bit brighter. Uh, and it seems to be one strike and you're out for Labour shadow ministers, Steve. Yeah, Keir Starmer as sacked shadow transport minister for joining the rail strike. Uh, which is better, I think the Telegraph deals with it better than the, the Mail Online, which went with the headline, Keir Sachs, Angela's boyfriend. Oh, dear. It's as if it's gossip, like this you'll is, never guess what happened. This is, <laughs> this is Sam Tarry, to give him yeah. his proper name rather than just Angela Rayner's boyfriend, although he is Angela Rayner's boyfriend. Yeah, that's not the reason he's been sacked. No. Um, it's because he, well, in part, it's because he went to do uh, the picket line of the strike. Also, there's an argument, because right, that's your main headline. Your main headline is, are we sacking people for going to strikes now? Is that the position the Labour Party's taking? Surely they should be pro-union, but at the same time, it's the easiest low-hanging fruit win to say Labour Party's in the pocket of the unions. So actually, this is a good stance, maybe. But well, if you read the rest of the article, uh, there's one theory that actually maybe he was trying to get sacked. Yes, what's all that about? I read this, but it doesn't... He's why being, did he do this? Well, and it's really vague, isn't it? So he's being reselected. Yes. And he might get sympathy in his local thing. It's <laughs> Ilford. So we're going for sympathy by being They sacked. don't do sympathy in Ilford. No. <laughs> don't think, I don't think they're capable there. Nick, what do you make of this? I mean, isn't it the case, though? I mean, I know uh, Keir Starmer's had a lot of flack for not standing up for the strikers generally. We've had lots of strikes recently. And, of course, the party is called Labour. There is that. Exactly. And that's why I'm sort of torn, because the, the train strike's very annoying. It's, it made me get here later tonight. And it is annoying, especially tube strikes are absolutely disastrous for London. But I do sort of almost respect 
the old Labour way of doing things. You know, my granddad was a big union man, very proud Labour voter. And this is actual, like you say, an actual Labour type of thing to do is have strikes and unions. And then it, so it is quite amusing that Starmer has said, no, none of that, please. But of course, he's chosen this stance, which is basically to be a sort of neoliberal with weird, woke uh, things on the side, which is a lot of yeah. people now. You doesn't really commit to anything, though, does no, it? No, but that's quite a stance. I call it, I mean, you see it in North London all the time, I call it the new normie. They're basically neoliberals who are sort of Blairites on the economy. Then they, like, kneel for BLM on the weekends. It's all yeah. very odd. But he has to really be seen to be doing something here because he, the whole thing is he wants to be seen as the, the government-in-waiting, especially now with the Tories in disarray. Yes. So the whole thing is he can't be seen to be striking, which is a kind of inherently oppositional strike uh, stance, and you can't really take a stand against yourself if you're the government. So yes. he's trying to look as, as governmental as possible. Yeah, but the, I mean, the party is suggesting that the reason why Sam Terry has been ditched, Sam Terry, sorry, has been ditched, is not to do with him joining the picket line. It's him uh, breaching collective responsibility. Right. In other words, not doing what he's told. I mean, is but, that... But it's the same thing, really, isn't it? Because the policy is you can't go on the picket line. Right. So really, that's the same point. Yeah. Yeah, although the, the best theory, one person learning the article said, well, there was an edict not to join the strikes for the last strike, but no one ever mentioned this one. Right, As well, some... that sounds like a loophole to <laughs> yes, me. Yes. Yeah, all right, Thursday's sun next. And a new legal proposal from our potential new Prime Minister. Does this affect your daily activities? <laughs> well, yes, Andrew. It's wolf whistling and street harassment of women would become illegal under Liz Truss PM plans. So, now, well, you, you've put me in a tricky position already, Andrew. I mean, I don't exactly want to die on the wolf whistling harassment hill. I don't want to die on no, harassment no, you hill. No, you don't. And this is how they corner you with, the, with this kind of thing, because you... At the same time, you wonder, is this overreach? You know, but if you look into it in more detail, it's, it's apparently that only re-offenders who are wolf-whistling many, many times will be, or multiple times, will be in trouble. But already, that does seem like an overreach to is, me. Is wolf-whistling harassment? Well, that's the question. And that's I, I, the question, yes. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's... It, I mean, is it really, you ask yourself, is it really necessary? Is it government overreach? Is it a conservative policy? Is this another attack on men? There's a weird attempt in The Times to kind of link it. I don't know if it's The Times doing this or... Liz Truss herself. The sentence was the Foreign Secretary said she would make it an offence to harass women on the street as she paid tribute to Sarah Everard. So to me, it strikes me as a little bit of like doing something rather than doing nothing. You remember when you know yes. David Ames was horribly murdered and then it's like, oh, we need to talk about online safety. So yes, obviously Sarah Everard, those things are horrific, but wolf whistling is not I mean, this that is, important. This is what it's doing. Is it's doing what a lot, of the, a lot of the things during the Me Too uh, uh, campaign did, is it conflates very, very serious things. I mean, it talks here about uh, you know, Liz Truss saying she's going to introduce this new sex offenders register for domestic abusers, obviously an incredibly serious thing. And then within that, you have wolf whistling mentioned. I've spoken to feminists who say, well, for God's sake, you know, if someone whistles at me, I can just shrug it off and move on or tell them where to go. You know, I don't need to be pampered and patronised in this way. So, so these, I mean, is it helpful to, to bring these very serious things with something which may be puerile and a bit invasive, but ultimately isn't that bigger deal. No, it's better to separate them and solve them as separate problems. And I think it is a problem. Anyone can find someone who says, oh, I actually miss being wolf-whistled at, but also you can find people who say it is annoying. I haven't heard that. I've just heard people say, I don't need legal protection for yeah. me to deal well, with it. And that was going to be my point, that regardless of the spectrum of opinions on wolf-whistling, you don't fix it by laws, you fix it by maybe education. Maybe, mm. maybe know a woman and have a conversation about it and you'll realise, oh yeah, maybe it is a bit of an icky thing to do. And a good uh, steer for life is don't be too icky. I'm maybe. surprised people you don't still do it. It. It, is, I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's not great. I haven't done it in weeks. But the, the point is that, <laughs> as well, is it a waste of police resources? We see such a waste of police resources all the time now. Now the police are knocking on people's doors if they're untoward towards paedophiles. So 
you know, the police are, police are wasting their time. But there are some good things in it. You know, Trust has promised to speed up rape cases that have taken too long in the, in the slow criminal justice system. So obviously that's good. But the wolf whistling thing gets the headline because it's a bit silly. Absolutely. And Nick, I'd like to apologise for wolf whistling you earlier, but I do like that jacket and it makes you look really good. Well, I understand so, your preferences, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. Uh, Thursday's Financial Times now. And a winter of discontent looms large on the horizon. Steve? Yep, European gas prices surged 30% in two days because Russia said, oh, Ouch. maybe you don't have so much uh, gas. A lot. What bothers me about this story, it is a lot, and the prices are now tenfold what they were between 2010 and 2020. Yes. So this is a huge amount. If you want to get into the nerdy numbers, it's €210 Euros per megawatt hour. I'm sure that... That's cleared it up. Oh, that's totally clarified yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to ask you about the, what is it, megawatts? Megawatt hours. I was going to ask you about the megawatt hours. Yeah, I could round it up to maybe the megawatt quarter of an hour. Maybe this I'm is not the sure. having it. a sciencey person on. You speak a different lingo. Although I do hate these units because the watt, all you're doing, to get a watt, you take joules, you divide it by time, and then you're timesing it by time again to make it into energy. We've already got energy units. Come on. I was about to say that. Is this uh, the main part of that story? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I thought well, it was more about geopolitics. Yeah, than, uh, this, this is the, the accusation that Russia might be weaponising gas. No. I mean, it doesn't well, they don't say. They say this is turbine maintenance Yeah, issues. that's a great line as well. Oh, we can't fix the turbine. All these sanctions, you're yeah. not allowing turbine parts. Just coincidentally, this is happening yeah. at the same time as the war and the sanctions. But, Nick, you know, this is, uh, you know, we've had lots of conversations on the programme about how we need to be a bit more independent mm. when it comes to energy. Yeah, and yeah. we are, in Britain, of course, we take something like 3%, I've heard 5% from Russia. Obviously, Germany, it's way higher. And that's why Trump famously claimed to give Merkel a, a white flag. I think it was just a napkin, but he said, this is a white flag because you've essentially surrendered to Russia. And this is it. Morality aside, Putin has been obviously very shrewd in terms of, we're talking about all these sa sanctions on Russia, but it turns out he's actually planned this much better and is strangling Europe, you know, by owning the gas supply. And the, the irony is that we're all worried about Russia's military and that seems to have been a bit of a disappointment from yes. what we can gather. I say disappointment if you're Putin. That seems to have been a bit of a, a damp squib. But this is where he's actually winning the war, the kind of soft war of, of, of you know, gas. Well, he definitely is because, I mean, this, if this article is to be believed, I mean, they're talking here about how uh, politicians are saying that gas is going to have to be rationed for businesses, for factories, right. even households. Can that be the case? But that's our own fault, isn't it? Because not only should we not have been in a position where we were so dependent as the West on Russia, but as soon as we were having those conversations, it looks like we've done nothing. So they just turned down the tap a little and look what it does yeah, to absolutely. us. It's, it's like uh, buying from a dodgy drug dealer, getting hooked on it and then wondering why he nicked your watch. You should have seen this coming all along. Excellent analogy. The <laughs> Alison Bailey case now from Thursday's Daily Mail. Nick, this is a big story. Yeah, victory for free speech and women, my two favourite things. And um, this is Alison Bailey. And, and, and you know loads about this case, Andrew, but, so I hardly need to tell you, but I'll tell the viewer because she's won this case against Garden Court Chambers. This all kicked off. She was a founder of the, or is a founder of the LGBT, what's it called? LGBT the LGBT Alliance. Alliance. Thank you very much. And as soon as she announced that she was, a, she was part of the LGBT Alliance, Garden Court Chambers put these tweets out about her saying they were going to investigate her. And then she's won 22,000 in damages against them. She hasn't actually won the case technically against Stonewall, but it doesn't look very good for Stonewall because they were the ones advising the Garden Court Chambers. I think there was an email, I think from her in 2018, correct me if I'm wrong, saying that they shouldn't get involved with them as, yes. as diversity champions. This diversity champion scheme we've talked about before, which is a bit this dodgy scheme where Stonewall says, you can be a diversity champion. How do you do that? Oh, you get training from Stonewall that we, you have to pay for. So... This is Stonewall. You know, hopefully this is another, for me, hopefully it's another death blow for Stonewall because, you know, the other day we saw the tweet, I've got it here from them, when they said, research suggests 
that children as young as two recognize their trans identity, yet many nurseries and schools teach a binary understanding of pre-assigned gender. So they then had to walk that back. And they said, oh, on Friday, we put out a tweet that was unclear. It's like, no, it was clear, bro. It was pretty clear. You want to move on to try and trans two-year-olds because that's your market. So th this is a, incredibly sick. And this, you know, there is a real problem. You know, increasingly, as I was talking about on my show on Sunday, increasingly gay people don't feel that Stonewall represents them. It actually works against their interests. But this case is a particularly interesting one, isn't it? Because um, the way in which people have, have spun it, so Stonewall have said it's a victory for Stonewall because obviously she was suing Garden Court Chambers and Stonewall, but she yeah. lost against Stonewall, but won against Garden Court Correct. Chambers. But of course, what that means is, is that the court said, yes, the advice from Stonewall was wrong, was unlawful, they were misrepresenting the law, etc. cetera. Um, but uh, the Garden Court Chambers didn't have to take the advice of Stonewall, so the responsibility lies with them. But for Stonewall to claim this is a victory is insane because they've just cost Garden Court Chambers with their shoddy advice a fortune. Yeah. Mm. And all of these other companies that currently have the diversity champion scheme surely are going to back away at this point, Steve. So the, the best case scenario would be that it's a PR loss. Because legally, I think this article in the, in the Times actually goes through step by step and looks at the legal problems. Yes. And therefore, the outcome might not be what the headlines look like, what other newspapers might report. But in, in part, that's because of the difficulty of making that legal thing stick. But isn't it more than PR? I mean, they, you know, they have been accused again and again, Stonewall that is, of misrepresenting equality law for their own ideological purposes, right? Uh, they've been accused of, of uh, effectively lobbying, rewarding the Scottish government with extra points in their index if they agitate to change the law according to what Stonewall wants. This is all very dodgy, slippery stuff. I, no, I take that point, but anything lower than a legal outcome is just PR, isn't it? I don't, I don't know if there but, is a but, gap in okay, no, that. Well, that could be the case, but surely, okay, let's say it is PR. Bad PR of this kind, yeah. when you are advertising your services to advise on equality law and a court says you are getting that wrong and this company is now going to have to pay millions, that's not, or whatever it is, I don't know how much they're paying, but that is such bad PR because that's their sole raison d'etre, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and also it shouldn't have been before, but and yet somehow it is now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd... It's yeah, an odd and, one. and BBC obviously uh, backed out of the diversity scheme last year. Yeah. And Liz Trust, like you said, got... Lot advise lots of people to back out of it, although a disturbing amount still remain in it. I mean, loads. Yes. Yeah. Was it 327 you said in one or something like that? There's 320-odd, you know, the Foreign Office is still there, the Department of Work and, and Transport. Yeah. The, you know, it goes on and on. The House of Lords, uh, the Labour Party in its entirety, the Green Party, Madden. the SNP. I mean, it, you know, the extent of Stonewall's influence and reach is so extreme. But we have to reach a point where whatever you feel, whether you support Stonewall or whether you, you don't, we have to accept, don't we, that they are massively divisive. They just are. Absolutely. And also, the point from this story is, regardless of your opinion on the details of the story, one of the outcomes is you shouldn't lose work because of it. Right. And I think that is a solid foundation well, we've got to, to then have a Let's discussion. bring it back to Alison Bailey here, because, you know, black lesbian who was effectively, I mean, she claims, was targeted by Stonewall. Stonewall basically tried to stir up trouble and get her uh, in trouble with her employers. That was the claim. Uh, and, look, shouldn't Stonewall be defending people like Alison Bailey, people who have been fighting for gay rights for decades, yeah. is a stalwart of the cause and is a black lesbian. You'd think, but didn't you say that up until 2015 they were perhaps doing that and then they moved on their they focus shifted. onto trans issues yeah. because they kind of completed, that had been completed, so it's like, oh, we still need a reason to exist. So, yeah, I, I think Bailey sums it up really well here, by the way, just somewhat what we've said when she said that she's exceeded in, expo in exposing Stonewall's conduct and the enormous, to my mind, malign influence it wields in the workplace and in society more generally. So that's it. She has technically lost the case against Stonewall, but she's exposed what they're up to. Absolutely. I think, I think what this proves, though, is that when you do try to uh, put the LGB with the T, you're fighting for two very different campaigns. You know, gender, gender identity is unrelated 
to sexual orientation. They're different causes. So the solution, surely, is that we have gay rights campaigns groups like LGB Alliance, and we have trans rights campaign groups like Mermaids, and they can both lobby for what they want. But conflating them, as Stonewall have done, I think it's proven it doesn't work, right? Mm. right. Well, that's my rant over on that. <laughs> on to uh, Thursday's Guardian now. Bad news for court sketch room artists, Steve. Yes, because uh, it's going to get televised. Crown court sentencing remarks could be televised. Great, we all need more competition. Or other alternative, as if there aren't enough criminals on TV already. I add either one to go at the top. Uh, it's up to you I, what you want to do with that. So the old Bailey will be opening up to cameras on Thursdays. It's quite a swift move. Is this going to um, be like a Judge Judy situation? I imagine hopefully classier than that. The goal <laughs> is to try and let people see some of the details behind sentencing. And that there was a line in the article that said uh, it will help the public get a better understanding of how sentencing decisions are taken. It's a lofty goal. I yes. still think we public will be angry at the verdicts that the newspapers tell us to be angry to because that's just how it works. I mean, isn't this just prurience, though? Isn't it? Isn't it? You know, isn't it a bit like the OJ case, or you know, one of those cases which is open and it becomes really, it feels fictionalized. Then it feels like a, a soap opera. I don't think we'll ever be like that. Like the the subplot through Cable Guy. Remember that? Film? I, I didn't see that. All right, but I don't think we're going to be like that in the yeah. UK. I mean, there might really? be the odd the odd one where you watch it for the wrong reasons, but whilst watching it for the wrong reasons, you might learn greater detail about how justice is dealt. Well, that's what they're claiming. They're saying it's going to improve transparency and restore confidence in the justice system. Nick. Yes, yeah, so that's the benign take that it improves transparency, and obviously, like you say, the reality is it'll Im increase this kind of lurid spectacle, which is bound to happen. We're going to become more and more American. And much like we have with the Tory leadership debates, which is one criticism yes. of those, and of course we're going to lose those nice little drawings that we yeah, enjoy so Yeah, I like so the much. drawings. I think <laughs> st stick with the drawings. I'm all for artistic expression. That's all for part one. <laughs> Welcome back to Headliners. I'm still Andrew Doyle, and they are still Steve N. Allen and Nick Dixon. On to Thursday's Mail. Potentially remarkable news here, Steve. It is great. Uh, City of Hope patient, 66, cured of HIV after receiving, they say, dangerous uh, stem cell treatment. You can see where the problem in this story is straight away. Yes. It is amazing. The fourth person who's managed to be cured of HIV... Yes, because... not, just, not just sort of being able to live with it, yeah. the medication, actually cured. Actually It's cured. gone. By having a, uh, a transplant of stem cells, a bone marrow, effectively, producing this... This stuff from someone who had a genetic mutation, which meant they were immune to HIV. Right. So you can transplant that from someone into a new host, and then they also fight off the HIV. They've done the tests. He's now no longer leading um, uh, any medication for it. Of course, the problem is you can't scale this up. I mean, how are you going to get so many? Well, imagine the poor people who've got the genetic mutation who just have to be farmed. To try, you know, where oh, you, where... I see. Can't you just replicate? I mean, I don't know about no. Plus, also, it's it's a dangerous enough operation, and with HIV not being the life sentence that the 1980s wanted us to think, yeah. Actually, your your risk cost analysis or whatever they call it wouldn't. So work. that's that's an important point, isn't it? So these days, uh, your life expectancy as someone with HIV is the same as someone without. Yeah. Because the uh, the medication has advanced so far. But having this kind of uh, operation is risky. So the number of people who right. would die during it, if you've got bone marrow involved, any kind of uh, is risky. Ah, but doesn't this suggest that we will eventually develop this technology further? Yes, and that would be the hope. These are great steps forward. The fourth person is just effectively, not to take away from this, this person, uh, but steps along the research path. And at yes. some stage, there won't be the risk associated, there'll just be the benefit. Nick, any thoughts on this one? Not loads, other than great news, of course, but it's just a bit suspicious to me they 
they've cured this just as they bring out monkeypox, which is like the, uh, the new version. I knew your conspiratorial mindset would find something Just raising this. the question, just asking questions. Yeah, where's Bill Gates been in all of this? Well, yeah. aren't you suspicious of monkeypox? No. <laughs> well, I mean, insofar as it's a, uh, a new disease that we need to be wary of, yes. particularly gay men. Anyway, okay. let's move on to Thursday's Telegraph now. And when is a nipple okay? Good question, Andrew, but we should really focus on the show. Um, this is a... <laughs> so we, Instagram Supreme Court to review transgender nudity rights after removal of topless photographs. So this is a big question, is, is whether it's medical. Is it medical or is it porn? Always a tough one for those with a, with a dentist fetish. But basically what it is is that Instagram, famously, you're not allowed to be topless on Instagram, free the nipple, etc. But this was a non-binary couple who posted topless photographs to celebrate the fact that one of them was getting so-called top surgery... Which whether, is a mistectomy, right? Whether, yes, the breasts are reduced in size or removed. And, uh, and they said, well, this shouldn't be taken off. And so Meta's policy, Instagram's parent company, of course, states that um, medical, or in a medical or health context, you know, you shouldn't take it down, essentially. So they're saying, you know, why has it been taken down? It's important that transgender bodies are not censored, but it's been taken down because it's classed under porn so by a bot. So again, we are getting to this distinction between the difference between biological reality and identity. And people just seem to think this is... So, in other words, there's a, a female in the photo who is topless. Uh, and the algorithm obviously sees it as a female. But the female identifies as non-binary. Bigoted algorithms. And the, right. That's the problem. So, so, but, I mean, I suppose the feminist argument would be, well, men and women should all be able to be topless. That would actually solve it. Yeah, that, that's silly as well, isn't it? Well, I don't what? Know, Steve, what? Hashtag it? through the nipple. Why is that silly? It's I'm silly because men's nipples are just have just not sexualized in the same way. So it's obviously not the same. Very, very nineteen uh, eighties thinking. Oh, I, I'm aiming. I'm aiming for fifties. Nineteen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I only hit eighties. Nipples. No, again, well, but actually, this story would be more about. It doesn't even need to mention um, gender because if you think about it, the rules talk about whether it's medical or not. This is, would be medical. The algorithm gets it wrong for that. So I'm not sure why the story then has to spin out into whether these people were non-binary or not. That, that, that does seem to be allowed. Yes. Because it's medical. It's certainly not titillatory. Well, it depends who's looking at it. No, well, I think the intention is, is the reason you take something down. Because you could put any picture up and someone find it sexually attractive. You can't cancel pictures just because someone was turned on by it. The intention of posting it's the issue. OK, Nick? Mm, I'm, I'm, not not so sure. well, I'm not totally convinced, because if the idea is presumably that children are seeing it or something. If children are seeing a breast, they're seeing a breast, aren't they? So it doesn't really matter about the intention of the poster. Then you have to cancel all the medical ones that are currently allowed. Mm, yeah, that's true as and well. And also, what about, you know, you walk around the Vatican, there's lots of breasts around the Vatican. I mean, in statue form. I don't, because I'm Protestant, but I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. One Any, does. Yes, one does. Anyway, uh, good news if you're a voyeur now from Thursday's Daily Star. Steve. No, 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 bad. Google will hand over video footage from your home to police without your permission. What? No, 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 very, no. I'm not saying I do things at home that I don't want the police to see, but I'm going to have to move out of the way of my ring doorbell. This is... T- so, like what Amazon... What is it? Is it, is it just the ring doorbell? Is there, is there a device that films you as well as... I know Alexa is listening. Yep. Um, but... You can get Nest devices. There are some uh, baby webcams. We've got two. Ah. One of them's like a travel one. But if you plug it in, it can connect to Google, and then they would tell the police. So why um, is it that Liberty and groups are all about, you know, civil liberties... They're not up in arms about this stuff. They seem awfully quiet about even spyware and all this kind of stuff. Well, why aren't they more Just upset? to slightly puncture it, actually, the Google policy says, if we reasonably believe that we could prevent someone from dying or suffering from serious physical harm, we provide the information to a government agency, for example. Um, right. That's so, where it starts, Steve. Yes, That's exactly. Yeah. Now you sound like me. 
That's well, what no, I was going to say. That's no, where I, I start. Think, I think this is a fair point. You know, I know how, how surveillance works. I've seen the lives of others, you know, that film. Exactly. You know, and, and you've seen the lives of others through your surveillance. I've done literally. it as well. I'm, I'm always watching you when you're preparing for this show yeah. with, through my little oh, camera. That, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say the same as you, Andy. You start off with, like, oh, it's because we're trying to prevent someone dying, and then you end up with cashless society, social credit scores, Klaus Schwab's running your life. Yeah. Uh, although you say no one's caught up, surely people like Big Brother Watch are aware of this. I th yes, that's true. They have made some noise about it. Uh, I will say my favourite part of the article is down the bottom where it says Google have been approached to comment and then didn't. Oh, tight-lipped about something, are we? <laughs> <They're pri> <laughs> yeah, they want their privacy. <laughs> Thursday's Guardian oh, yeah. next, and apparently Trump is dealing with a flaccid pence. See what yeah, I did there, Nick. It's not, yeah, I saw it. It's not quite as good as you think this story. Pence has erect posture but flaccid conscience, says ex-Trump officials. This is Miles Taylor, who was formerly at the Department of Homeland Security. He wrote this famous column under the uh, anonymous name, and he wrote a book that was uh, some sort of Trump hit piece called A Warning. And um, he's basically saying that uh, Pence didn't stand up to Trump, at, you know, when it mattered. Right. I'm not quite sure what the aim of it is because, famously, Trump has fallen out with Pence because he didn't back him over the stolen election. Yes. And um, stolen election. Well, I'm just quoting what Trump would say. I'm not. I'm no. not suggesting that it was just stolen. coincidentally. It's what you believe, but that's. It. <laughs> I'm not saying one thing or another. Things happen. Elections happen. Some of them are fair. But um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm allowed to. This is all satire, Ofcom. So um, basically, he said that <laughs> he said that Pence is weak and didn't stand up to Trump. But the thing is, Trump doesn't like Pence anyway anymore, and Pence has now endorsed. Karen Taylor in Arizona instead of Trump's pick, which is Carrie Lake. So they're already right. up against it. And the, the interesting part to me is not this guy's little jibe. It's, it's who's going to be Trump's VP. Yes. Because is it going to be DeSantis? But surely DeSantis wants to run on his own. Is it going to be Tim Scott, Glenn Youngkin, Ted Cruz even, you know, yeah. whatever you call him, Lion Ted could come back. Any quick thoughts on this, Whatever Steve? we called him. Yeah, brill. Get Trump back because I miss finding it easy to write jokes. Well, there is that. And he was funnier than any of us, let's be honest. So, reparation demands now from Thursday's Telegraph, Steve. What's this about? So, telecoms tycoon uh, Dennis O'Brien's campaigned for reparations in the Caribbean. Well, so he's really rich from Ireland, like the richest man, founded um, his mobile network out there, Digicel. It spans now more than 30 countries and boasts an annual sale of uh, $550 million. So just that's context. Yes. He's got the money. There's a charitable foundation linked to it that's already donating tens of millions towards um, development projects and, and um, helping out various ways. And now he wants to be the connection between both sides to negotiate reparations. Right. Which is... It's a tricky... I mean, I don't think one person could do it. It's, it's a debate that could go on forever. Well, it could, because you're never going to satisfy everyone when it comes to reparations. You'd you? need it to be almost dispassionately done with a bit of accountancy, but realistic accountancy. Like, wh whether a, a trade with a country will actually have corrected so many problems from the past, it's... Surely we can agree some of the things that were done would have cost a country. But how can you quantify any yeah. of this stuff? I mean, he's talking about Ireland here, you know... Do I get reparations because my ancestors were massacred by Oliver Cromwell, which may have had knock-on effects? Who knows? Well, Maybe we would have been millionaires if it weren't for that. But in part, the way you'd look at it would be paying for infrastructure for a nation rather than individuals. I see. You could help the GDP of a country and then they could spend it on infrastructure, but I don't think you're getting a cheque. I mean, well, I should. Um, Nick, what do you think? Well, I just want to briefly run through my list of hobby horses because it's so relevant to this, which is that there are more slaves alive now than ever. We don't talk about that. Britain ended slavery. You know, every culture or race has been slaves at one point or another. No other countries worry about this stuff like China, as you hinted with Ireland there. Turkey don't come out 
apologizing for the Ottoman Empire and op offering reparations. Our empire was unique in that it was the most relatively benign empire. And also, in a sort of royal flush of my, of my little concerns, this O'Brien character was hanging out at the World Economic Forum. So, of course, they want to enslave everyone right now. Wow. That's quite a, a list of hobby horses you've got there. <laughs> well, okay. well, the well done for getting perfect. through them, though. Uh, and that is part two over with. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Andrew Doyle, Steve N. Allen, and the big dog himself, Nicholas <laughs> Dixon. Now, according to Thursday's Mail, over a million, oh, 11 million people watched England's Euro semi-final last night. Can you imagine that many people watching your semi, Nick? Outrageous. Um, <laughs> no comment. But England, yes, they did. 11.3 million watched England's 4-0 mauling of Sweden, is what Daily Mail's calling it. And yeah, the TV audience reached 9.3, additional 2 million viewers, blah, blah, blah. And it's all great. And we all, I'm very glad England won, but now I'm about to give a contrarian, sort of misanthropic take on it, which is that I was in the pub after my 5 side football game, which is the only game I care about, and we went in, and at, and at the end of the game, because it's North London, everyone like applauded in a kind of theatrical way. Then I made a joke about the game to the football lads, thinking this will be funny. They all just stared at me. It wasn't me because I made several really funny jokes throughout the night, so I was on fire. But I suddenly realised this is the new current thing we can't criticise. We all have to love the women's football. Ah, and uh, I'm not that bothered personally, but I'm glad they won 4-0. It's all great. But isn't, but, the, isn't the issue here that you know 11.3 million viewers, that suggests, doesn't it, that women's football is becoming mainstream? It's becoming mainstream. I'm being grumpy and I'm a terrible person. But the goal that everyone was thrilled, because I said the keepers aren't very good. And I, was, and I was looked at as if I'd said something awful because the keepers used to be not that good at women's football. And now apparently that's a terrible thing to say. But if you watch the back heel goal that was very celebrated, it was a very clever back heel, but the keeper should have done better. Sorry to sound like Roy Keane. I know this means nothing to any of you two, but the keeper, <laughs> it just rolled straight past the keeper. She let it in. The only time I've seen a goal like it for the viewers at home was Dennis Law, 1974, Man City versus Man United. He used to play for Man United. And they didn't want to win the game because it was going to send Man United down and, make, and relegate them. So he didn't even want to score. So he did a back heel because he didn't want to score and it accidentally went in and he was gutted. So uh, it looked a bit like that, but he was much nearer the goal. There wasn't a defender in front of him. This is... The back heel was soft. That's all I'm saying. You're nitpicking. I am. Right? It's I a mean, great victory. I mean, England, yay. I don't understand football. I would have thought Feminism. for a goalie, just get the fattest woman because there's less space for the ball to go in. Is that how it works? You, I'm not sure that fits within my, my conception of body positivity. Okay. I object to the phrase fattest woman. Oh, well, you've gone from misogyny to <laughs> full-on feminism, which I like. I like that. Turn, though, what, do you, what do you think, Steve? Because you're not a football fan, are you? No, and I'm very fair in the fact that I'm not a football fan of men's football and women's football because it's football. I mean, great that it happens and it'll inspire other people to play football and we should, should probably move around more and be less of a massively fat nation. So that's good, yes. but as long as I don't have to do it and I can just slowly but grow is it, a beast. I mean, I haven't watched women's football. Is it like, because I prefer women's tennis than men's tennis because you can watch it because it's not so quick. Um, is it like that? Is it like a, just a better version of football where you can actually no. see what's going yeah, on? The no, serves are slower. It, it's yeah. a much, much worse version of football. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Nick, it is, isn't Nick it? finally saying what he thinks. Right, <laughs> one for the data analyst fan, analysis fans out there now. From The Guardian, this one, Steve. What's this could like? almost get me into football. Smart scarf. What is this smart scarf? It's a scarf that if you go, if you're a Manchester City fan, a select few will get to wear a smart scarf. That uh, it's wearable tech, biometric sensors integrated into the fabric to monitor the uh, physiological uh, movement data. Basically, we can see which fans are uh, closer to having a heart attack when a goal goes in. Stuff like that. Yeah, but, but what's in it for the fans? That's what I don't understand. It nothing. just feels like 
They, they want to monitor you through your accessories. Yeah, they say uh, they can even monitor emotions. How? What? And if you, if so, could yeah. I please have one to give to the missus? Because it'd just make it easier if my phone could go ping. Oh, that. Oh, that oh, yes. I thought you meant an emotion to give your wife for a change. Um, oh, so, <laughs> this is this is Man City fans, and so the main emotion they'll be monitoring will be smugness, uh, and they are doing very well at the moment, of course. Well done, City. But um, yeah, like you say, Andrew, it's it's an ostensibly fun way of smuggling in wearable tech. Starts right. off with a fun football scarf. Before you know it, cash for society, social credit source, Klaus Schwab, <laughs> eating and, the bugs. Yeah, and then the Terminator kills us all. Yeah, I'm not having it. Anyway, yeah. Thursday's Guardian now. And are games gay enough for you, Nick? Well, it seems more of a question for you, Andrew, but I'll try and tackle it. Meet the gamers, and that's a pun with the word gay and then like gay like a like a person. Mm. But gay, do you see, see, what, see what they've done? That's actually a really good joke. Why queer representation is exploding in video games. They say games. The Guardian doesn't have a sense of humour, but with puns like that. I know. The headline could have been Meet the Guardian, to be honest, because it's pure Guardian. It's it's look, it's a think piece about why more and more gay people are getting involved in video games. And of course it's great that they are, and they should be allowed to play them, Andrew. I do believe that. I'm not going to try and ban Look, you're, you. You're looking at a champion of Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, really? I, I could complete that every time. You are showing your age there, but... but... On my Mega Drive. <laughs> but the only, my only problem with it, Andrew, is surely gaming is for young right-wing men making dark jokes to each other on the internet <laughs> and working through their violent impulses in the safety of the video game world. But that's what so you So it's cultural thought. appropriation for, the, for the, your lot to take it off. Well, Not my lot, lot, but people I know. I, 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 <laughs> look, I don't understand this because I thought my lot were like, played games as well, yeah. don't they? Well, I mean, there are some stories about uh, homophobia and the attitude of chat that you get online. Uh, but I've, I mean, I don't know because I've not played an online game. The fact that they're online is terrifying. Why would you not just be playing on your own computer so no one sees but that badge? there's a community, though. They're all interconnected. Yeah. People talk, you talk with strangers and you, you shoot them and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But what I don't understand is oh, there's a lot of stuff in this article about representation. Is that I don't need Sonic to have a gay friend. Well, you oh, he should. does, doesn't he? He's got I think fl he already, uh, yeah. flames. What is it? Fl no, the, the little um, Knuckles. That's, I think oh, Knuckles is gay. Yeah. Well, basically, what's the point? It, the point is that 21% of people working in the games industry uh, uh, identify as LGBTQ+. And the, so and they're, what? And they're going to give more games that are giving players options to remove binary gender suggestion, selection and all this kind of thing, Andrew. So you'll be represented in the game with your... Oh, you know, it's so boring. <laughs> I don't care what sexuality the characters in a computer you game You don't are. want a gay Sonic, is that what you're saying? I couldn't care less what Sonic does. In his own bedroom, in his own time, it's got nothing to do with the game. I just want him to jump up and get those rings. The, spike, the spikes could be an issue. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Thursday's Guardian. <laughs> and I should have listened to my pale-skinned, questionably, questionably pungent and square-eyed nephew, Steve. Yeah, back to gaming, really. Video games have no effect on well-being, according to a new piece of research, which I suppose is good, because there are bound to be some people who think, oh, it's rotting, it's new, so it's rotting kids' brains. Any new technology means, oh, misery. Well, they've done an actual study of people actually playing it. Previous studies were self-reporting. Yes. This study isn't, and this study says no effect on, no harm to well-being. So those self-reporting ones, what a cry for help that must have been. Yeah. Um, but apparently, yes, if you, uh, if you play computer games, as long as you don't feel like you're obliged to, if you go into it feeling like, oh, this is going to be a bit much, it impacts you. And it also says uh, the findings show that no link between gameplay and well-being other than extreme levels, there may be an effect if the player increases playtime by 10 hours a day. You do <laughs> sure. anything 10 hours a day, it's going to take it <laughs> out isn't of this you. the problem with computer games, really, is their addictive nature and the fact that people waste their lives right. in, a, in a virtual world, Nick. And that's why this is very silly. It says they have no effect on well-being. They obviously do. If you spend all your time playing games, have no life. Unless you're one of those 
guys who gets paid to play Fortnite and you make millions off it, but they are very, very rare and most of them don't get anywhere. There's an interesting uh, discussion online the other day between Andrew Tate and a guy called Clicks, who was uh, one of these Fortnite guys. He makes millions off it. But the point, well, the, Tate made a very interesting point that if you, in the real world, if you have to battle and get towards something and you're building towards some sort of status, you learn a lot of lessons along the way. Whereas in the video game world, if you don't make it, you've just wasted a huge amount of time. I think there's some argument for that. But people used to spend hours... Uh, Rod Stewart likes uh, miniature uh, train sets. Mm. That is a waste of human endeavour, isn't it? At the end of building that, you've built a small train. I suppose train. any obsession. I had to delete Ro Robot Unicorn Attack off my phone because I was spending hours a day on it. I was late for work, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't seeing my family. It was really serious stuff. I mean, it's like having a heroin addiction. And have you got help for that now, Andrew? I had a lot. Yeah, I had to go through all sorts of therapy. There's a group. No, I just deleted. I just deleted the game. But, oh, it's quite a gay game. It's about a unicorn, and it, it uses an erasure song as the uh, the, <laughs> the main song. So but, yeah. Because you're in a conspiracy mood tonight, Andrew, I want to point out the problem is when they're saying it's healthy reasons like intrinsic motivation. That's when it's good. When it's said to be or social fun. When it's said to be bad is when there's a compulsion to satisfy goals set by the game. That's like you said, the game. That, yeah, the game's taking over. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that is probably unhealthy. Anyway, what do I know? On to a story uh, that we three are all deeply passionate about. <laughs> this is Love Island. Love Island slammed with over 1,500 Ofcom complaints about misogynistic behaviour and bullying after Snog Marry Pie. They got over 5,000 Ofcom complaints in, in just five days. And what it was, Billy Brown set the tone for the shocking behaviour when he completely bypassed Danica Taylor with whom he is partnered up with, which is a bit of a Love Island sentence, but she was left fuming, Andrew, fuming when Billy did not choose to kiss, marry, or even pie Danica, wouldn't even pie her. Can you help me here? I don't know what pie is as a verb. Uh, that just means to get rid of someone, pie them off. You don't even want anything to do with them. I was imagining like a custard pie in the face. Well, it might literally be that in the game, I'm not sure, but it means to oh, mug them off and pie them off. You don't even want them. anything to do with them. And I love it here because he said she was left fuming. The next paragraph, Danica was left fuming. Like, she was really fuming, Andrew. I want to emphasise that. But the thing is, to me, you can't really watch Love Island for its morality. You know what I mean? You're watching it because it's a lurid spectacle highlighting the degeneracy of the culture. And that's the whole point. And you know what I mean? I don't think that's why Love Island fans are watching there's it. There's always complaints about gaslighting, misogyny, abuse. Lots of people have committed... Not lots, but several have committed suicide. It used to be on it. You're not watching it because of the moral high ground. Steve... I don't know who any of these people are. Should I care? No, and you're safer off not caring. I think Love Island probably has a bit of a self-filtering nature in that the, if you're on Love Island, you're probably not the bestest of people. Um, and it's not just the, this way around on gender. Was it last year or a couple of years ago there was some woman who lost it so much at her boyfriend, I don't even know what the rules are, maybe it's boyfriend or not, that there's a lot of toxic behaviour of everyone who's in these things. Uh, and there always will be. This is... Not, yeah, they're not nice people. You say that. I do have a friend who was a contestant on Love Island, Chris Williamson, who has a very good oh, podcast. Yeah. So, you know, we shouldn't tar so them all nice with that brush. Some of them have been on GB. They're very nice. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the people. And Tommy uh, Fury was on it. I like as well. I'm just saying the whole thing is not really where you go for moral guidance. No, fair enough. OK, so Thursday's Daily Mail now. And if this insect gets any more rights, they're going to have to add another B into LGBTQ, aren't they, Steve? Bumblebees, they do feel pain. Mm. Oh, all those wow. regrets come flooding back of all the times. <laughs> um, <laughs> they've, they've done a study and researchers at uh, Queen Mary University in London revealed that bumblebees can feel pain. Firstly, who tries to get a research grant? Oh, what are you going to do with a research grant? I'm going to cause pain to bees. Is that how they, how they find it out? Or do they just prod them with a stick and see if they go... Almost. They give them two sources of sugar water. One of them is uncomfortably hot. 
And it said bees. it was like noxiously hot. Oh, that's, that's See, bad. I thought that with bees, because they're a hive creature, that you know they don't really fit. They don't. They don't act in such a way as they care about their individuality, do they? You know, if you kill one bee, it sends out a signal, and the others come and swarm you, right? It's not really. And sometimes a bee will go and sacrifice itself to keep you away from the hive, right? So they don't really care. No, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't feel pain. In fact, this is one of the things I think science really dropped the ball on. To presume that if you're a, a vertebrate, oh yeah, pain, but invertebrates, they probably don't feel it. Surely we should imagine that evolution gives anything a, a pain system because it's really useful to not get your arm trapped. Okay, what does it sound like Andrew was saying because they don't have a sense of individual autonomy, he believes they can just be crushed mercilessly. But even... Well, I, I mean, I think that insects... We can't live in a world where we can't kill insects because you... every time you walk through a field, you're killing <laughs> you lots and that, lots Andrew, of insects. But that's the world we're about to enter because fruit flies can also feel chronic pain. Fruit flies? It says it here. They I'm feel not, chronic I'm pain. Sorry, fruit fly rights is what you're... Reparations being. for fr fruit flies, that's what I'm saying. See, this is... We just have to accept that we are at the top of the food chain and insects are going to get it. And we I just, just can't... Say, people oh. kill spiders. I always take them out very carefully in some Tupperware. I do. And release them. And the comedy world says I'm a monster, but what about that, Andrew? That... Well, apparently it's because they <laughs> then starve to death. Oh, yeah. do they? So that's yeah. actually worse what you're doing. But why do they then starve? They're in the same environment. Ones. Yeah. No, you, so basically you've made it worse. You've tortured them. Why? I let them out immediately. Yes, but then they starve. Why? They would have been much better just being put out of their misery, Nick. Why are they Learn starving? The lesson and and why are they starving a few it. feet from where they it's already were? It's the, the ones that would normally be growing in your house, ain't it? Growing. The, the spiders that you just find in your house, they need to live They in need to live inside, Nick. So can you, you just, just be a bit... Well, they're bang out of luck because it's what, my I, house. I tell you what, I don't, I don't get rid of spiders in the house because they're really good for the house and they're good for flies. You know, you flies are them. much worse for you because they land on your food, they vomit on, the, on your food, they mash it all up and they suck it all back in. On yours, maybe. Well, not mine because it's vegan, but, you know, your food, they're good for yours. So I'd say definitely, spiders are great. Sticking with the Daily Mail, it turns out dogs can see with their noses. You have a similar ability, Nick, I think. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, dogs use their noses to see as well as smell. They've discovered an extensive pathway that allows dogs... So basically what it is, Andrew, you'll know this, the olfactory bulb, of course, is structured to look... It's whatever. It's for odours. <laughs> I'm not going to read it. We're too near the end of the show. <laughs> Meanwhile, the occipital lobe, yes, is the one that's for visuals. But they're saying that in dogs, they come together and they're integrated. So actually, that, this is why... Dogs that are blind can distinguish between different objects because they're smelling the objects. I don't know about that. I, you know, my cousin had a blind dog, or a dog that went blind. He moved house, and it just kept colliding with everything, and he just had to learn not to bash his head. That was, you know, it, he, he definitely could not see through that nose. Maybe it's because the items of furniture weren't smelly enough, because if they can uh, navigate via smell, if you've just gone around and febrezed everything, that's cruel. Would that have been it? Yeah. But you can't... That's still not seeing through... Look... I don't know. No, it's processing smell information in a visual part of your brain. So oh, I see. So then you can then have a, 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 an internal model of what's in the room based on what you've smelled. So someone can smell so bad you can see them, essentially. Yeah. OK. Thursday's Telegraph, and one of the worst ways to spend your birthday, Steve. Uh, yes, James Lovelock, scientist who first proposed the uh, the Gaia hypothesis, dies on the 103rd birthday. But that's not a bad innings, come exactly. on. Exactly. That's, that's really impressive. Yeah, and also, I mean, given he spent most of his life uh, thinking that the world was going to end due to climate change, to have reached that one and not been proved right yet, he must have been kind it's of happy. very well. But he, so what is the Gaia theory? That the Earth is one big connect, interconnected organism itself because all organisms on the planet are somehow connected and they interact. There are, it's not necessarily thoroughly believed by the scientific world because, you know, a bacteria on the pole might not necessarily interact with me. But in general, the point is 
you don't you have a lot of interconnectivity. Okay. All the people all the people I know who believe in it seem to be mental, but that's hardly Lovelock's <laughs> fault. And he was interested in that he believed in nuclear power. And he said that, you know, Chernobyl thrived without people, that it wasn't the nuclear science. And this was his big claim, and he was very pro-nuclear. Well, you know, God bless him, and he did really well, and you know, he's 103, like I say. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's sad. It's always sad when someone dies, but it's also quite wonderful when they've had a, a good innings, I think. Anyway. It's more than I'm going to get, I'm fairly sure. Oh, oh we're, we'll be gone by, you know, next month. Anyway, uh, we end with uh, the Daily Star and uh, Saudi Arabia apparently have big plans, Nick. What's yes, Saudi Arabia's insane one trillion jungle skyscraper will be better than the pyramids. Move over, Egypt. So they want to make, build this massive thing. It's called the Mirror Line. He wants to get it done by 2030. Uh, which is the Crown Prince Bin Salman. He said it will feature 1,600-foot tall buildings. People are worried that the buildings will be so tall they'll stop birds and animals migrating because the mirrored walls could confuse them. But apparently Trump has said it doesn't go far enough and called him a total loser. I made up, <laughs> I made up the last bit. <laughs> well, we're seeing it there. And oh, it, there I mean, it's, it is very extreme. It looks very, like the you know, Lawnmower Man. <laughs> it does look a bit like something from the Lawnmower Man. Better graphics, I'll give it that. But, you know, this, this idea that... They're saying this will be as interesting as... as as good as the pyramids, but it won't be, will it? Look at that. I mean, that's soulless. The, the pyramids were, were, were far more sort of, you know, esoteric and, and... And they were made by aliens as well. And and they were made by aliens, exactly. What do you... I mean, look, now we're looking at the height. You've got the Empire State. This is taller than the Empire State. They love doing that, don't they? Of it's... course they do. But, you know, I noticed this in D Dubai. Everything in Dubai was was manufactured to be much bigger than anything else, so that they must have the tallest building, the most garish colours, uh, the, the highest fountain, just everywhere you go. It was all about one-upmanship. It was really vulgar. Yeah, I mean, if ever you want to find evidence that how money and oil interact is not particularly fair, they've got so much sloshing around, they just make big things. The idea of yes. having a wall that's reflective, though, was it the walkie-talkie building in London that had a curve on it? So it was like a, parab a parabolic mirror yes. and focused the sun and melted cars. I'm just saying I'm not going for a walk anywhere near there just in case they've made the same mistake. Fair enough. And I'm not, I'm not that impressed. You can flash your money around all you like. But uh, no, not, not one for me. Anyway, I'm not going to be going to Saudi Arabia anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, that is all we have time for. I would like to thank my guests, Nick Dixon and Steve N. Allen. And don't forget, Headliners will be back tomorrow where Steve will be in the hot suit. And who knows who else? See you tomorrow. Well, I won't, but he will. Bye. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.